This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Topic of today's podcast is the four causes of ineffective reading instruction. We want to have effective reading instruction. We don't want to have ineffective reading instruction. So what are the four causes of ineffective reading instruction? Cause number one, the myth of standardization. The first cause is the idea that students are standardized products and a standardized one-size-fits-all program can be purchased and implemented with fidelity. It's the crazy, wacky, nutty idea that all struggling readers are the same. And a struggling third-grade reader in Blackwater, Arizona, needs the exact same program implemented with fidelity in exactly the same way as a struggling third-grade reader in Edina, Minnesota. That's a wacky idea, but that's what we do. We buy these expensive reading programs, and we struggle to make the child fit the program instead of making the program fit the child. And when the expensive reading program doesn't work, as inevitably happens... What do we do next? Why? We either force the child to do more of what isn't working so it won't work to an even greater degree, or we blame the teachers, or blame the parents, or look for another program to buy, and the circle of educational life continues. Oh, wouldn't life be grand if good reading instruction was simply a matter of buying the right overly expensive reading program and implementing it with fidelity. In our teacher education programs, we could scrap all our child development classes and our teaching method courses. We could just have program implementation courses and read and follow the directions with fidelity courses or buy the right program courses. And the title of my next book would be Buy the Right Program, if that were the case. Now, this is what I found in reviewing the research literature and in my practice, tutoring kids from first grade to graduate school. Teachers will tell you this as well. What works with one person in our group does not always work with another. We'll talk about fidelity in another podcast, but first, three things about research. Whenever somebody says a particular program or method, when it makes a claim that it's research-based, or when someone says that research proves something is effective, you always have to ask, effective for who? For what purpose? Under what circumstance? How much? For how long? Also, a blip in low-level reading scores on research does not correlate with program effectiveness. When research shows a blip in reading scores, this doesn't mean that a student is better able to create meaning with print. It usually means that you've taught something and measured that something you taught, and you found more of it after having taught it. Imagine that. That's like saying, I sprinkled sand on the floor, and after, I found more sand on the floor. 
But the question is, is that a, a student better able to create meaning with print? And that's what reading is. It is a meaning-making endeavor, not a sounding-out words endeavor. So, the second cause of ineffective reading instruction is the lack of understanding related to the reading process. More specifically, misinformation or lack of information about how the brain creates meaning with print. We've got all these old ideas getting in the way of new understanding. The old idea is that reading is simply sounding out words. This, my friends, is a misunderstanding. It's called by James Hoffman and others, the simple view of reading or the phonological processing model. With this model, the brain, the process the brain uses for reading, according to this model, is thought to involve four sub-processes. Perceiving the words and letters on the page, putting sounds to all the letters in each word, putting the individual sounds together to identify words, and putting the words together to create ideas. And this is thought to happen all in the microsecond available to us. Poof! Magic! This is thought to create a form of speech in the head with which the reader listens during reading, just listening to the thoughts, the speech in my head. According to this model, reading is sounding out words. Proficient readers are able to sound out words automatically and fluently so that the speech in the head is uninterrupted. <clears throat> According to this model, struggling readers have sounding out word deficits. So, according to this model, to move from struggling to proficient, all we need to do is apply a bit more sounding out word instruction. As a matter of fact, some believe that if we just had a lot of good sounding out word instruction all over America, all our reading problems would be solved, and all children would be reading above average, and America would retain its place among the world's top economic superpowers. Now, did you ever notice how schools or teachers are often blamed when things are, go wrong or when there's problems? For often, we're the cause for the moral or economic decline in the nation, but we're never given credit when things go well. Success is usually due to the savvy business leaders or innovation or competition spurned on by unfettered free market capitalism. It doesn't seem fair that teachers are always blamed, but never given credit for all the things that go well in our society. Just doesn't seem fair. All fun attention. All right. We want all our children to be reading above average. Of course we do. But if that happens, above average will become average. Half our students should be reading below average. This is what average is. 3 to 5% of our students should be reading significantly below average. This is called the bell-shaped curve and a normal distribution of scores. This doesn't mean that we don't do everything possible to help all students achieve their full potential or their full literacy potential. <clears throat> 
Now, as I said before, struggling readers, according to the phonological processing model, have sounding out word deficits. So we give them a whole bunch of sounding out word instruction called phonics, along with lots of drill and practice sounding out words in isolation and on worksheets. The goal of this type of instruction is to develop students' ability to sound out words. The thinking is that if students were proficient with this skill, the reading problems would vanish. But this isn't the case. What usually happens is that students may get marginally better at sounding out words, sounding out isolated words in the short term, but there's little transfer of these skills to authentic reading situations. And in the long term, there's little noticeable improvement in students' ability to create meaning in authentic reading situation. But for the record, I am not against phonics instruction. I am highly in favor of it. It's not the what of phonics, phonics instruction that is at issue. It's the how and the how much of phonics instruction that needs to be examined. Phonics instruction, by the way, is teaching letter sound associations. The reader sees a letter and associates it with a certain sound. A sound within a word is called a phoneme. There are approximately 200 phonemes in all human languages. There are 44 phonemes in our English language. Now, we got 26 letters in the alphabet. This means the alphabet is 18 letters short. Hmm, that's a problem. But rather than invent 18 new letters, Someone came up with the idea that we should put existing letters together in combination to address these 18 sounds that don't have letters. Imagine that. A lot of confusion. All right. The third cause of ineffective reading instruction is that teachers have been disempowered. We want creative, intelligent teachers, but we don't allow them to be creative or intelligent. We say to them, Here's how you much must teach reading. You must. Here's the program you must use. You must. Make sure you follow the recipe with fidelity. Even if it's not working, you must implement it with fidelity. Now, could you imagine your doctor doing that? Even though a particular treatment may not be working or maybe even causing a negative reaction, if the doctor kept following the directions because an administrator insisted that the program must be implemented with fidelity, that doctor would be accused of malpractice. Well, implementing stuff with fidelity, even though it's not good for our students, is educational malpractice. Insisting on fidelity of implementation is educational malpractice. We must stop doing that. So, with teacher empowerment comes responsibility. This means professional development. There are no teacher preparation programs in the world that creates a finished teaching product in four semesters or five semesters or even six semesters. It's not possible. At best, we can prepare teachers to begin the journey. 
Now, of all the variables impacting the quality of education that our students receive and how much learning takes place in the classroom, the most significant variable is not the reading program that's used or how much testing takes place. The most significant variable is the teacher interacting with the humans in that classroom. This is the most significant variable. We must invest in this most significant variable through continued professional development. That's one way. Real professional development, the kind that dentists and doctors and social workers are required to have. Not the ineffective after-school workshop here and there. Real professional development. Now, can you imagine if your heart surgeon learned the latest strategy by taking a couple of workshops after a busy day of seeing patients. Would you want that surgeon to operate on your heart? The fourth cause of ineffective reading instruction is overcrowded classrooms. We're not running chickens through a conveyor belt. We're teaching children here, human beings. It's hard to be effective and to differentiate if you have too many students in too small a space. It just doesn't work. No matter how much you try to manipulate or control or blame or threaten teachers, we would need fewer special education teachers, actually, if we had well-educated general education teachers who were masters in differentiated instruction, who had toolboxes full of pedagogical tools, and who had the appropriate number of students in their classroom and classrooms were well-equipped and of sufficient size. Oh yes, one more cause of ineffective reading instruction is testing madness. I have yet to come across a standardized test that taught a child to read. I have yet to encounter one of these expensive things with all their fancy graphs and charts and colorful displays that tells me exactly what I need to do on Monday. They simply tell me how, how far away that child is from average. Yes, they are a tool, a useful tool, but any tool's effectiveness is dependent on how it is used. You would not use a screwdriver to pound nails. We have far too many standardized tests. Think about it. A teacher with adequate number of students in his or her class knows who's having problems. The test doesn't do anything to tell that teacher what's going on. He or she knows who, who's having problems, who's having difficulties. This is why we have to have smaller class sizes where we can listen, we can talk, we can observe our students. This is called teaching. It's what human beings do. It's how human beings learn. All right, this has been the Reading Instruction Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.